Uh, I want to ask a question, and for those of you online, you guys can easily answer this just by typing in the live chat. Do you collect anything? Do you collect anything? It can, and if it's weird, it's okay. No judgment here. Uh, some of you have probably already seen it. If you've been in my office or just walked by, I collect these little things called Funko Pops. They're basically little figurines from different pieces of pop culture. So, of course, you have the Avengers, you have the Ninja Turtles, you have uh, the Dr. Malcolm from Jurassic Park. You have a variety of, of figurines that you can pick up uh, and display either proudly or keep it in a closet because you're ashamed of it. But I proudly display mine because... I'm quite proud of the Ninja Turtle set that I have. But if you collect something, especially if you're online, let us know in the chat. But if you collect something, I think you kind of understand what goes into collecting things, right? Kind of going into this, this hunting mode of going to garage sales, antique shops, eBay, wherever it is, and finding these items. Now, I was curious because, I mean, Funko Pops are kind of, they're, they're more mainstream. I was curious, what are some really, truly weird things that people collect. And so, of course, I did a Google search and found this, uh, this Instagram account called New Museum that is all about showing these things that people collect. And some of it was kind of tame. I came across one that where it was just vintage books. And I'm like, ah, I kind of understand that one. Vintage books, they look cool. Uh, they have a certain smell to them that people, I guess, like. They have a feel. You know, it's a piece of history that you can collect, right? So that one's kind of tame. But as I kept going on, I, I didn't really understand this one. People collect bells, apparently. Does anyone in here collect bells? Again, no shame. But does anyone collect bells? No one. Okay, so if you collect bells online, let us know. But bells was another one that people apparently collect, like the little bells that you can, uh, it was a wide variety of ones that you, that are like hand bells that you sometimes will play, or ones that you string up, or even just the little kind of um, bells that you would normally see on Christmas decorations. Uh, I saw people were collecting those. And then I saw another one where kind of made me understand some things a little bit. Apparently people collect clicky pens. I guess that's a thing, and that also explains why I can't ever find any of mine. I guess we have a student in our church that likes to collect clicky pen. Clicky pen. Man, try saying clicky pens five times fast. That's hard to do. But apparently people collect clicky pens, and this one kind of, this next one I saw in there, I was kind of nodded my head and was like, of course. My mom is one of these people, and hopefully she's not watching online right now because this will be really awkward. Um, but Beanie Babies was another one that showed up on there. Did any of y'all remember Beanie Babies? Oh, my lanta. Again, hopefully my mom isn't watching, but I'll tell you all, like, she, when Beanie Babies came out, that was her thing. That was what she collected. Even when they went to McDonald's and the Happy Meal toys, she collected those things like crazy. She was on eBay all the time, buying them up, and it was annoying my dad. I thought it was hilarious, but uh, my dad didn't think it was so funny. But we, we collect things, and, and I think it's just part of, our, part of our human nature. We just like to collect things and display them and just kind of have... Uh, some kind of item that we can attach some kind of sentimentality to or have some memories tied to. And so while this isn't inherently bad, it can lead to what we call idolatry. Last week, we talked about what love is based on the Bible out of 1 Corinthians 13 and how it looks when you are focused on God. Well, this week, we're going to look at what this love looks like when it's directed at worldly treasures. And so that's where we're going to pick up uh, in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. So we'll go ahead and read the verse, we'll pray, and then we will just uh, dive in. So starting in verse 19, 
It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Some translations will say you cannot serve God and possessions. But with that being said, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we could come together to study your word. God, I pray that during this time you would regenerate our hearts and renew our minds with the study of your word. God, I pray that you would just uh, keep us focused on your word over the next couple of minutes. And God, I pray that you would just uh, speak in this time. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here we have Jesus addressing a couple of different things. Here we have really, uh, to give you context, I'm a context guy. Jesus is, where he is at in the middle of this chapter, it is couched within, or couched, it's set after a period of, of teachings where Jesus is getting people to stop focusing on themselves and focus outward. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus talks about giving to the needy and how you don't really brag about it. If, you're gonna, if you see a need and you meet it, then you do that. You don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You don't really make a show out of it. If you see a need, you take care of it and you move on. And then in the next section, he talks about the Lord's Prayer, getting us to remember who God is and our standing with him and how he provides for us, getting us to realign ourselves, so to speak. And then he tackled the topic of fasting and how there's people in this culture that he's addressing that when they would fast, they would kind of walk around and look like they were starving and in pain and just really make a show out of it. And so Jesus, all up to this point, is, is teaching, don't puff yourselves up. If you're going to serve me or follow me, that's great, but don't make a show out of it. And so then we arrive in this verse here where he's talking about laying up treasures or storing treasures. And I think this might be one that we can all relate to a little bit. And this is actually our first point that we'll start off with. Lay up heavenly treasures. And we'll get into what, how you can do that here in a second. But I remember very fondly growing up that my mom had this friend that whenever my mom got something new or did something different to the house or the garden or whatever, then her friend had to do the same thing to kind of keep up, right? And it would always drive my mom nuts. And I didn't really understand it because I was like, she just likes what you're doing. It's cool, you know, it's, it is what it is. But it would drive her nuts. And I think we, we sometimes even tend to get into that competitive nature where we see people in our community or at our job or wherever it may be, even in school, and we see them have something like, well, I need that thing. I need to have the new iPhone because all my friends have it. I need to have the new car because my neighbor has a really nice one. Or I need to have a whole bunch of books because I don't know who really needs, feels the need to have a whole bunch of books. But you get the idea. We all want to sometimes fall in this trap of storing up treasures here on earth. But Jesus is saying, don't, don't do that. Don't store up treasures here on earth. He says, these things will pass away eventually. These things can be stolen, and if your identity is in them, then what's left? 
Now at this point, before we move any forward, I just want to make it clear. I'm not saying it's bad to have possessions. It's okay to have a TV, a car, PlayStation, all that stuff. If I were to sit up, get up here and say that you can't have possessions to be a Christian, I would be a hypocrite, and that's not what I'm saying at all. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. But what Jesus is saying is that our focus shouldn't be on material possessions because they won't really bring us happiness. And I think we all have kind of dealt with that to some degree. When I used to work at Apple, I thought getting the new phone each year would bring me all kinds of joy and stuff. But the truth of it is, after I get the new phone or the new iPad, literally a week after it comes out and I have it, I'm bored with it. I'm ready for the next big thing, right? These things don't really satisfy us in the way that we think that they will, but for some reason we, we want to have them because our culture tells us you need to have this to be happy or to be successful or to be whole, but we all know that that's not exactly true. And so a lot of times what happens is, is we take really idol, idols are things that are inherently good, but we make them bad. And so Jesus is saying, don't store up earthly possessions. Store up heavenly treasures that can't be destroyed, can't be stolen. They are eternal. They are everlasting. But Jesus makes this very interesting point here that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you go back to Proverbs 4.23, it talks about how you, we need to guard our hearts for from it flow the springs of life. And the students are probably nodding their head at this because they're like, oh yeah, we talked about this a few weeks ago. If we don't guard our hearts, then we can easily be consumed by a lot of things. We can easily be led astray by a lot of things. We, keep, we might wind up going back to wells thinking that they're going to satisfy, but they never really do. And so Jesus is saying that we need to lay up treasures in heaven, not here on the earth. So then that begs the question, well, how, how do we... How do we do that? How do we lay up heavenly treasures? What does that look like exactly? Well, this goes into the second point this morning, which is pay attention to what you pay attention to. It's a saying I heard a pastor from Houston say when me and Camilla were at a conference, and it is always stuck in my head. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Jesus talks about it here in verses 22 and 23, that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Have you ever noticed that whenever we focus on things, that tends to coat how we view everything? If we, if we are so focused on some kind of negativity or toxic nature or conversation, well, then that just tends to cloud everything that we see especially if you spend time on social media. I got on there yesterday. I broke my one rule of, never, of not getting on social media on a Saturday, and I regretted it. But it just seemed like that's all that was going on, just a whole bunch of negativity. And I realized after several minutes of paying attention to these conversations and seeing this content, I was like, I was just upset. I was ready to argue with people over something I didn't have any business being part of. But I wasn't paying attention to what I should have been paying attention to. Jesus is making a very important point here that if we focus on darkness, that darkness has a way of infecting us. I can't remember who, who said this, but there's this famous saying that says, if you stare into the abyss long enough, the abyss will stare back into you. If we don't pay attention to what, 
we're paying attention to, it will mess with us. And I think when this comes to idolatry, this really just becomes very apparent. G.K. Beale in his book, We Become What We Worship, he has this saying talking about idolatry and just how we're created as worshipers. He says that we resemble what we revere, either for ruin or restoration. And then he adds in, all humans have been created to be reflecting beings, and they will reflect whatever they are ultimately committed to, whether the true God or some other object in the created order. And so we can't get around this fact that we're created to worship, we're created to reflect things, and whatever we worship, we become like. The students know this very well that when I ask them, you know, what do idols make you, they'll probably, they're probably already hearing it in their head right now. But when you worship an idol, it makes you blind, deaf, and dumb. We see this in Psalm 115. We see this in Isaiah 40 and 44, where Isaiah is telling the nation of Israel to not worship these things, to not worship idols because they corrupt you. Psalm 115 makes it clear about idols that it says that idols are made of steel and iron, or in our case, could be plastic, metal, could be some kind of digital thing. And though our idols may have eyes, they don't see, and though they may have ears, they don't hear, and they may have mouths, but they don't speak. And if we worship that, then that is what we become. And I may have shared this last week, and if I did, then I apologize for revisiting this, but I'm sure it'll be new for some. When I was growing up, I was so focused on trying to find the right one, so to speak, you know. And all of my, my college pastors and my, and my youth mentors were all like, dude, just don't worry about it. God will provide that in his own time. I'm like, that's dumb. I don't like that advice. I'm not very good at sitting and waiting. But they were right. And I realized, I didn't even, and at that point, they were telling me all this godly biblical wisdom, and I wasn't paying attention to any of it. I was dating one girl in particular, and they were like, dude, you don't need to be with her. That's bad news. And I'm like, no, she's pretty. I'm going to stay here. And they're like, dude, this is a really bad idea. I'm like, but she's pretty. It's like, so? (laughs) And I didn't realize until after all of that had ended, I was like, man, I was an idiot. They were just trying to help, giving me godly wisdom, but because I was worshiping an idol, I wasn't hearing what they were saying. Because I was worshiping an idol, the stuff I was saying was pretty much nonsense. And because I was worshiping an idol, I was blind to the destruction that was happening around me. And a lot of times, this is how idols operate. And what's crazy about idols is they're very sneaky. Like I said, idols are are inherently good at first, but then they become bad. Right? Technology isn't inherently bad. It's just how it's used that makes it evil. Food isn't inherently bad. It's just how it's used that can be potentially evil right? Love itself is not inherently bad, but depending on how you go about obtaining it or pursuing it, that's when it can be distorted and changed, and it consumes you, and it just ruins you from the inside out. And so Jesus is saying, whatever you are focusing on, it will consume you. And I think we can kind of see this in people's lives. The difference between people that are focusing on or paying attention to worldly things and people that are focusing on heavenly things. There's a few people that I can, I can think of right off the top of my head 
Brother Russ is one. Last year during the whole COVID thing, I was a mess. I was freaking out. I'm just going to be honest. Camilla will tell you I, I was definitely a mess. But there's something about Brother Russ. He kept the main thing the main thing and fo- kept focusing on Christ and how he could minister to people. And that was kind of an anchor for me during that time. Another person I can remember is my youth pastor's mother-in-law who was just, I don't think she talks about anything but Jesus, to be honest with you. <laughs> Anytime I hang out with her, she is always talking about God and what he is doing in her life and how she was able to pray for someone and, and minister to someone. And it seems like uh, any story I hear of her, it's always something about, <laughs> sorry, I got my words twisted up. But I remember one story in particular where she and their whole family was out at a Walmart. This was years ago, and they were just kind of hanging out, buying groceries and things like that. And my youth pastor saw her talking to some stranger, and he didn't want to walk up and be rude or anything because he just assumed they, were just, they knew each other. And so he asked her when she came back, like, did you know that person? Like, and she was like, no, but I was telling him about Jesus. And he was like, in a Walmart? Just... Out of nowhere, you just, you just felt led to tell him about Jesus? And she was like, yeah. Matthew 28 says to do that, so I'm going to do it. And he's like, man, my mother-in-law is more godly than I am. And it's people like that. You just see there's a, there's a difference in how they live, how they think, how they talk. And, and it's not to say that they're perfect, and it's not to say that they, that they ever get sad or bummed out or anything. It's just there's a difference there. And I think Jesus is on to something here. Imagine that, Jesus being on to something. But I think Jesus is on to something here when he says to focus on the light. If you focus on the darkness, you'll be consumed by it. And so how do we store up heavenly treasures then? Well, that's the first part is we focus on Jesus. We focus on the Bible. If we are bummed out or stressed out or whatever it is, I think our first reaction should be to pray. And I can't take ownership over that advice. My wife tells me that almost every day. So that should be our first reaction is to pray about it. Some of my students, I can't remember which student it was, but one of my students said, like, if you've got time to complain about it, you've got time to pray about it. And I'm like, oof, that'll preach. But it's true. And oftentimes I'll catch myself. Now, my wife doesn't have to bring this up, but there's times where I'll catch myself being stressed out or worrying about something, and I'm like, well, have I prayed about it? Like, well, the answer is no, so I guess I got time to pray about it. So we store up heavenly treasures by focusing on Jesus and going to him in prayer and seeking him out, not just in the bad, but also in the good. I think a lot of times when we, when we ask for prayer requests, we think of like, man, what's really bad in my life? What can, I, what can I pray about? What am I really dealing with? But at the same time, we, we forget that there's times in the Psalms where the psalmist is praising God in prayer. I mean, like, God, thank you for X, Y, Z. God, I praise you for being good, for being faithful, for being consistent. And we see this a lot in the book of Psalms. And I think if we, if we changed our prayers to include our praises as well, it would help us remember just how good God is and how good he has been, Right? And so there's a few ways we store up heavenly treasures as we focus on Jesus. We don't worry about worldly possessions, but we also seek him out in prayer. We delight in his word. There's multiple portions in Psalms that says delight in God's word. We should be studying the Bible with as much intensity 
as we study whatever kind of stock market, YouTube trend, whatever it may be, we should focus on God through his word. Because a lot of times what happens is if we don't know what's in God's word, we're easily led astray. For those of you that don't know what TikTok is, TikTok is a social media app that allows you to create video content that is 15 seconds long or 60 seconds long, could be anywhere in between. And I've noticed that there's a lot of people on there talking about the Bible that don't really know what the Bible actually says. But they've got thousands upon thousands upon millions of followers, and I'm like, good grief. Is this really where people are are getting their word from? tell the students this almost every Wednesday to the point where they're probably annoyed and they're going to get annoyed by me saying it again. But I always tell them if the only time that you're reading the word is one day a week and it's a pastor reading it to you, you're doing things wrong. You need to be reading the Bible. I'm not going to lay out like a schedule for you, but you get the idea. We should be reading the Bible and studying it intensely. We should be delighting in God's word. When I was studying for this and connecting the dots between Isaiah 40 and 44 to Psalm 115 and then to this verse, it blew my mind because I was like, whoa. It's just cool to see how everything connects like that and affirms itself. Like the Bible is one of the coolest books we could ever read, but we often neglect it in our pursuit for earthly possessions. So if we want to store up heavenly treasures, focus on Christ, pray both in the good and the bad, delight in his word, but also gather together, kind of like what we're doing right now, both online and here in our local church. I would argue that you get the full benefits from gathering locally if possible, but understand that some things don't make that possible for some folks. I understand that. But we should be gathering together. I mean, we're one big happy family most of the time. But we're one big family. Like, think about that for a second. All of us in here that are Christians, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, including the weird one up here preaching right now. Yes, we are all brothers and sisters, and we should be loving one another, supporting one another. We talked about this last week. We should be patient and kind with one another, giving each other the benefit of the doubt. We shouldn't look like our culture with how we are so ready to cancel each other because maybe we misspoke or said something in error. We should be loving and patient and kind towards one another. We shouldn't look like how, we, like how it does on Twitter. Brothers and sisters, we're all big one happy family. And we can lay up heavenly treasures by serving and being here together with one another and having each other's backs. And then the last one, there's more that you can get out of Scripture, but this is the last one I'll, I'll end on in terms of how to lay up heavenly treasures. This is the last one is use what the good Lord gave you. And what I mean by that is God has given us talents, abilities, skills that we all don't have. Getting up in front of people and talking about the Bible is scary. Getting up in front of people to talk in general is just terrifying. But God has gifted certain people and equipped certain people to be able to do that. And, you, and just to give, give some of the students a little bit of encouragement with this, you may be afraid of public speaking now. Give it 10 years. Because I used to be terrified of public speaking. And then my senior year, God decided to throw a curveball at me and make my entire English class the whole year. We were all just going to do public speaking. And I'm like, okay, I see what you're doing. 
God has a way of taking your fears and turning them into your strengths. And so if we seek God through that, if we just feel God leading us to maybe start a a ministry or go into ministry or use our talents for his glory, we should run after that and not worry about messing up or or failure or what uh, bitter Betty or tiny teen is going to say. Who cares what they think? We should be chasing after what God has called us to do because in so doing, we will lay up heavenly treasures. We shouldn't worry about what people are going to say or what kind of failures we, we might endure, which this is not in my notes, but it just came to my mind anyway. Look, if we're ever going to succeed at anything, we need to embrace failure. You're going to make some mistakes and you, and you learn from them. That's how you get to success. That's just a good life lesson in general. It's also good for Christians as well. But we can't just let fear hold us back from serving God. If we're going to lay up heavenly treasures, we can't let fear stop us. We need to focus on God, keep the main thing the main thing, seek him out in prayer, read his word, delight in it, worship, gather together as a body of believers, use what God has blessed us with, and just see what happens. But a lot of times when we focus on idols, it gets to a point where it becomes incredibly hard to take Jesus' hand. And this goes into the last point here that we'll uh, settle down at, and that is let go. Verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or possessions. If we find it difficult to delight in God's word or to delight in any sort of thing from the Bible or anything related to Christianity, we need to start asking ourselves why that is. Is the reason it's hard to raise our hands in praise because of a legitimate season that we're going through that's really difficult, or is it because we're too busy weighing our hands down with idols, with worldly possessions? Because I think a lot of times, and really I'm kind of speaking from my own experience here in my own life, there's times where Jesus is reaching out his hand to help, right? He's reaching out his hand to help. He knows what we're in. He's ready to pluck us out of that domain of darkness. But we're looking up at it and we're like, my stuff, I, don't, I got my stuff. Can this come too? And Jesus is like, no, you got to let go of it. Get rid of it. And it's like, but my stuff really hard to reach out for that helping hand when we're busy weighing it down with other things that really just don't matter. And I can understand that because idols have a tricky, sneaky way of getting in. Because again, idols are things that are inherently good, but then they become distorted and become objects of worship. They don't always start out as bad, but they can easily become that without us even knowing. And pretty soon we're just kind of used to it. But at the same time, hearing Jesus say things like, no one can serve two masters, that goes against some of our our feelings and some of our thoughts and saying, well, I I, I can handle this. I can can totally serve two masters. It's like, God, I I don't need you. I don't need to hand this over to you. I've got this. I've got things under control. All the while ignoring the fact that the house that we are in is burning down. 
And we want to hold on to these things because we think these things are going to save us, and yet they're not doing a very good job of that at the moment. And so we, we, we get this kind of arrogance, and I don't mean to say that in a rude way. It just kind of happens. It just builds itself. We get into this arrogant mindset thinking that we can hold on to this sin or hold on to this temptation and handle these idols, and we don't need God. But we know that's not true. And we know because our, our arms are starting to get pretty tired. We're holding on for dear life to these idols. And I think sometimes we're afraid to let go of these idols is because we're afraid of what will happen when we do. Because I think for a lot of us, what idols tend to become is like a security blanket. And if we get rid of it, then it's like, well, what, 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 what do we have left? Is Jesus really that good, that powerful, that big, that he can replace that and do even more than what I think this idol can? And the answer is absolutely yes. But you're never going to find out until you let go. It's as simple as that. And I think sometimes what happens is, is we forget just how good Jesus is. We, we, we go to different verses where we see Jesus talking about how he gives everlasting life. He brings fulfillment. We see him doing this at, at the well when he's talking to the Samaritan woman and, and saying that the water that people drink from this well, they're going to thirst again, but the water that I give will build up a well inside them and become a spring of life. They won't need to go to these other wells because they will have the well inside of them, echoing Proverbs 4.23. Again, it's cool how the Bible connects like that. It's awesome. And then he even brings it up again in Matthew 13, 44, just a few chapters from now, where he's talking about this parable about how this man goes into a field and he finds this treasure. And it just blows his mind at how awesome this treasure is. And then he goes back, sells all of his possessions just so he can buy this field to have this one piece of treasure. Is Jesus that valuable to you this morning? I've been asking myself that question over the last few months as I've been studying idols, and man, it is, it's been tough because it's revealed that there are times where I do not see Jesus as the treasure that he is, that I do not see the gospel as the treasure that he is. But through scripture, through prayer, through just pulling myself out away from, from things that have become idols, I'm like, man, this was not doing me any favors. So the question is this morning, is Jesus your treasure? I pray that he is. But I know for some of us, that's, it's kind of hard to see Jesus as our treasure for a variety of reasons. I don't know what seasons you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with specifically. But I know that sometimes it's hard to see Jesus as a treasure. And I get it. But again, it goes back to, are we paying attention to what we're paying attention to? Are we storing up heavenly treasures? Are we letting go of these idols? And then there's this question, which is, do you have Jesus to begin with? Maybe you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you know you need to. And the great news is, is that it doesn't require any kind of hoops to jump through. You don't have to purchase a season ticket. You don't have to purchase new shoes. You don't have to purchase the latest tech to get Jesus. All you have to do 
is just simply say, prayer where you're just like, Jesus, I recognize that you came and died to live on this earth. You died for my sins. You rose again three days later. And I want you to be Lord of my life. That might be a very kind of streamlined version of the prayer, but you can just kind of say that however you want. Romans 10.9 simply says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9 makes it super clear. And I think for us, probably what we need to do this morning, as uncomfortable and awkward as it may be, is let go of those idols and take up Jesus and redirect that love that we have for other things back to the one who created it to begin with. And through that, we can see ourselves being made whole again, so to speak. And so as we close this sermon, this is the part where it is your opportunity to do business with God. You can come up here to the altar and just pray. Uh, If you need me to pray with you, I would count it a privilege to do so. Uh, Maybe you just want to grab a friend and and have them pray with you. Uh, This is really your opportunity to do that. If you are online, this is an opportunity for you to submit any questions that you may have had about the sermon you just heard. You can go to our website, www.fbcfarwell.org. There's a contact card on the main page, and you can fill that out, and we'll get that here to our church, and we'll connect with you uh, this week. But As we go into a time of response, let me just pray for us, and then this will be your opportunity to do business with God, to seek out this treasure and to claim this treasure for our own. Let's pray.